755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome back to 755 is real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for The Athletic. I'm with uh, co-host, former Braves reliever Eric O'Flaherty as we come to the home stretch of this truncated season. And Eric, have you ever heard the word truncated used more times by sports people than this year, this season? <laughs> that, that's the first time I've heard it today right now. Uh, <laughs> oh really? Yeah. <laughs> even even Mark DeRosa used it this morning. Everybody, oh, well. we've been writing it. I guess I try to steer away from it because I think people are probably tired of seeing it. But that lets me know you haven't even seen it. So, um, can you believe this, man? This is the this is the last week, and the Braves are about to clinch. I mean, doesn't it seem like we were just talking about whether we thought they were going to get the season in? Well, yeah, I can't. But be- <laughs> there really hasn't been that many hiccups in the season either. You know, there's there's been a few times where you thought. You know, with an outbreak, it might not get through, yeah. but it actually went pretty smooth, all things considered. Yeah, you know, when those two teams early, man, when the Marlins and uh, then the Reds have a little outbreak, but especially the, the Marlins Cardinals. outbreak Cardinals. and the Cardinals. Yeah. And they were quarantined for a week. And, you know, I was like in, in Philly, you know, I was like, this isn't doable. This isn't going to yeah. work. Snit said the same thing yesterday. He goes, frankly, I'm surprised we got it in. He, yeah. he thought the same thing that it was, we were on the precipice of the whole thing falling apart after those two teams uh, early on. Yeah, and the bubble idea for the playoffs, you know, I mean, I think that yeah. they, they made the right call there just to, to make sure you get it in after working yeah. so hard to get the season in. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think uh, I think it might have been the best thing that could happen was that disastrous Marlins thing with yeah. the debacle, them going out and going to strip club or wherever they went, and then having to be quarantined and all the games canceled and the doubleheaders piling up. I think that might have put the fear of God in people that go – Oh, this is this really could fall apart if we just have. Yeah, and they didn't want you. Don't want to be the one guy after the Marlins really messed up, and the and the Reds or the Phillies or whoever it was. Not the Phillies; they were at the mercy of other teams getting in trouble. It was the Reds and the Cardinals, right? Cardinals. Yeah, the Cardinals. I think after those two teams had those problems, then it was a focus on it. Then it's like you don't want to be the next guy that screws this up because now everybody's on notice. No, you know how how easily it could fall apart. You don't want to be the team or the guy that everything. So that's when I think everybody really started taking this seriously. Yeah. And you know, if there's one or two more of those, you know, how much could the schedule take and how, how much would the league put up with before they just had to shut it down and especially in the face of the public. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird because it's September. So it kind of feels like the baseball season could be, should be wrapping up, but it's, um, yeah, and it kind of it kind of flew by and dragged at the same time because of all the drama. Yeah, and as it turns out, it was a good idea for them. They wanted to get it in for economic reasons because they right. didn't want to go into football and you know baseball can't uh, can't ask the networks to to cover the postseason when football has started and all this. But it kind of dovetailed, like you said, perfectly because the end of this season is right where we would be normally. Yep. The weather's changing down in places like Atlanta, where all of a sudden it wasn't until this week where it felt like a nip in the air at night. Now you're in the 50s and 60s at night, and it feels like playoff weather. So it's like really weird. It, it, you know, you, you go through it just a two-month season, but now it feels right. I mean, now yeah. you're here, and, and, and so many teams are in this thing to the very end. Yeah, I mean <laughs> – with expanded it, you know, race. for me, I get kind of torn in between whether letting all these teams in is a good thing long term or not. But for this year, it's a, it's a good thing because if yeah. you, know, you could lose a guy for two weeks, it's like losing him for a month and a half. But um, yeah, it's kind of you know even Seattle's in it. There's a lot of teams yeah. that, especially if there were fans, it, I think that's the only downside is there's no fans at the stadium. But 
um, T-Mobile Park here would probably be packed uh, yeah. just with a team trying to make the playoffs for the first time in however many years. And, um, curious, and interest is going to be really high to watch the games on TV, whereas if the game, yeah. you know, in a two-month season, uh, you know, some teams are five and six games out and they're not eliminated really yet. They will be soon. But there's a lot of teams that are only three to five games out with, yeah. you know, five, six games left in the season. Yeah, and I'd be tuning in. Honestly, I'd be watching the Mariners games right now, but I don't have my cable box set up and I'm blocked on the at-bat app, so I haven't watched any of their games. But otherwise, I would. Why are you blocked on the at-bat app? It's it's my local team. Oh, oh so oh, I have yeah. to watch it through the cable box, or I can't that's watch it. That's messed up, isn't it? Yeah, I, I like think you're that's the thing. Unable to watch it, and I pay for cable. I just we had a cord break, and which is not. I just haven't dealt with it because that's about the only thing I watch on TV is sports. Can't you stream it on your phone? We can stream our TV. Our cable uh, I think I could easily. do the Xfinity app or something yeah, like that, but I don't want to sit there and stare at my phone or iPad. You know, I'd like to sit on the couch. Yeah, I know it's not the same. It's I mean, just inconvenient. I think it costs MLB a lot of, of viewers that I know they have to have you know their cable deal and everything. But I think if they made it more accessible, it help. No doubt. I mean, uh, you know, we take for granted that everybody's as as uh, is wired in, you know, with their phones yeah. and iPads. But there's still a big, big segment of the country that is not. You know, they're yeah. still at the lowest level of you know internet, whatever they have to do to pay, you know, to get uh, you know to get emails that they just have to get. But they don't they don't turn to it for all their entertainment and everything like a lot of us, you know, uh, like I don't watch TV on my phone either. But I know a lot of people that do yeah. their iPads and their phones, but I don't, you know, I'm older, so I don't. But I didn't grow, I just I'm not used to doing that. I want my big TV for that. I even think about, you know, because that's the other thing that's blocked is like if, if I did want to watch it, I like watching the games out. If I am going to watch it on the iPad, I, I like watching it in my backyard. But if you're not yeah. streaming it through your Wi-Fi that bad app won't let you stream it, even if you pay for cable. You know, that won't, it, it should let you at least log into your cable account and stream it that way. Sure. But, you know, like a kid riding home from school or something and there's a big game on, yeah. wants to watch the Braves or something like that, and he's stuck in traffic, um, it'd be nice for him just to be able to watch it on his iPad or something in the back seat. No doubt. Um, so we had a very strange day. Tuesday or Monday in uh, in Atlanta. Very strange in the latest latest and final episode of the Cole Hamels saga, unfortunately for him and the Braves. But let's start with uh, rookie Huascar Inoa, who has been had some really good moments down the stretch for the Braves. Yeah. And thank God, because they're going to need him now, probably. He left Monday night's game for people who weren't watching. He had the rocky first inning. Uh, they got Marlins got three runs. Of course, the Braves come back and score four in the bottom of the first, which is this Braves team. But he lasted three. The second third innings, he was sharp. Only faced six guys, gave up a hit, but then got a double play grounder. But he left after three. Turns out he had a crack in the nail of his right middle finger. But I'm told it's nothing big. They, you know, they think he'll be fine by his next start, but they didn't want it to get any worse. Um, but they're going to need him probably to make another start this week. But most importantly, they're going to probably need him in the playoffs because once the, if they get past the first round, which is best of three, the Braves can get go through three without Hamels because now, thank, thankfully for them, uh, Kyle Wright really stepped up. But they're yeah. going to need four starters after that. And Inoa, it seems as likely as anybody to turn to, even if it's to go you know, four innings. He's proved that he can do that, and they have the bullpen to do that to get through the rest of a game if they if they need to do an effective bullpen game with him starting. Yeah, no, they'll be fine. You're going to be you, – you'd just be asking him to go three and – you know, with this bullpen, that's not scary at all. If you had uh -huh. a, if you had a, a team with maybe two or three good relievers in the middle was shaky, but uh -huh. they're so deep, you know, you you don't mind pushing guys an extra inning or so, and guys are very willing to do it. Uh, 
you know, a guy would be willing, a reliever would be willing to go two innings back to back days and stuff like that, that they normally wouldn't do during the regular season. Cause you know, the, the end is near anyway. So you're kind of willing to blow it out. Yeah. But really, I mean, with Wright, the way Wright's looked his last couple starts, you feel yeah. pretty good about. And Ian Anderson, man, I mean, he just keeps, I think the thing with him is his fastball is just sneaky and it just gets on hitters and it beats them. So that doesn't scare me as much in the playoffs, even if he's nervous. Uh, uh-huh. that fastball is still going to be sneaky. He's going to get away with mistakes versus like a control guy. If they get nervous and start leaving stuff middle, they're not going to get away with it. Um, and then Freed, you know, him being healthy is huge, but shit, losing Hamels, man. I didn't see that coming. No, nobody did. Um, just one, just to, f- to finish on Kyle Wright, you know, anybody that thought, you know, that might've been a little wary after that one start where he really stepped up and they looked at his line, which he gave up eight hits, but there were. But if you weren't watching the game, right, two of them were bunt singles, and one of them was yeah. a blue broken bat. So I think those of us who watched the game were really impressed with that start at Washington. It was a damn good start. But for those who might have been on the fence, because it's like, okay, he's never done it back to back. Like now, let's see him do that. And then he goes out in the start a couple of days ago, and pitches even better. I mean, it, at, at New York, it was really impressive. I thought that was his sharpest, best start that he's had. And that made me think, okay, now the guy has turned a corner. Now he's done it back-to-back games. Mentally, he knows he can do it now. And that because the stuff has never been in question with Kyle Wright. No, I, I think for him, it's just been a matter of building confidence and, and proving to himself that he can pitch at this level. And the Washington start probably did it. And then his start the other day was just uh, he looked he looked like a big leader he looked like he belonged here and it, you know it's it's just as important to convince yourself of that and and prove to yourself you can do it and build that confidence as it is to prove it to everybody else uh-huh. and he did what do you like about him i mean obviously this has got those mid 90s got nasty <laughs> yeah. secondary pitches a good good curveball good change up slider I mean, there's nothing not to like in his last start. He was throwing front door sinkers. He was putting his changeup down and away on the black. His fastball was beating him to the spot. Uh-huh. Uh, he's got a good curveball. But really, I mean, you just saw that. I just saw different body language out of him. You know, after after each strike, I hit her out, and the way he was walking was right, like right. he was on a mission this time. He wasn't trying to figure it out. And that's that's kind of a tough position that a lot of the starters for the Braves have been in this year, where you feel like if you have a bad start, you're going down or you're not yeah. getting another one. Um, Kind of, you know, I think after building that, having a good start in Washington, he, he, it took a little pressure off. But when you're on teams like, say, the Marlins or Mariners that are kind of rebuilding and stuff, they can bring up these starters and let them have two or three bad starts to try yeah. to figure it out and slowly build that confidence. And none of these guys have really had that that luxury this year. So yeah, it, it's, a, it's a lot of pressure for a young guy to feel like he's losing his job if he pitches bad. And as you start building one or two more, you realize you're kind of building yourself a, a little cushion to maybe have a bad one. And then when you take that pressure off, you know, all of a sudden you pitch like yourself and you do your thing. And, and that's kind of what it looked like to me. Like he was just finally comfortable and settling in uh, against the Mets. Yeah. I'm one of those that, you know, kept pointing out he's had opportunities. He didn't get his first win till his 10th start. They lost like every game he pitched in of the 16 or 17, including relief. Um, but to be fair, like you're saying, those were those were spread over three years, and it was like yeah. every time he pitched, if he pitched poorly, he knew he was going to get sent down. They didn't say, "All right, this is your spot. We're going to let you make three or four starts and see what you can do." They ne- he never had that opportunity really when he was ready, and now he was ready, and the timing could not have been better for the Braves. You know, I mean, to, for him to step up, I just I think he's really turned a corner. Like you said, you know, he's got the two seamer and the four seamer, and yeah. uh, Degrom or Degrom. Darno was talking about that, catching him the other day. And he's like, 
all you need is he, you know, he established that fastball early, both games that when he was when he was good, he established it early, then worked out the, you know, that uh, you know, the curveball and the change and the slider in later. But he made the mistake at Tampa of going to that slider when the fastball was really working for him in the first yeah. inning. And it followed, he didn't make that mistake now. And that, you know, it, he's between the two fastballs, he's working guys inside, going in on their hands. I mean, it's just a different looking guy to me. Yeah, and that's that's probably what he proved to himself against Washington, getting through that start with fastballs when he got in trouble, still throwing it. You know, not, not being afraid to challenge hitters even with guys on, uh, and and that's just more of what I'm talking about. When you once you go through it, you know, like a big turning point in my career was when uh, Brian McCann told me he came out to the mound. And he told me if you just hit the glove here, uh-huh. it's going to be a ground ball, and it was a three-two fastball to uh, Feliz, a, a good a, a guy that was in the game to hit right uh, hit left-handed pitching. Right. And I've, I mean, I just kind of calmed down, trusted it. I threw the ball right where he said, hit the glove and uh, Felice hit into a double play. And it, it was just one of those moments where I realized, you know, you don't have to trick these hitters. It's it's so much more about executing a pitch versus throwing it hard or, or, or making it nastier. Um, yeah. But those are lessons you have to learn. You know, you can't just you have to go through it to, to have the confidence. In it. And it seemed like to me, he just had so much more confidence in his next start um, against the Mets. I mean, he was just attacking hitters and coming at him. One walk, you know, one hit. Uh, For me, just watching, he's he's got that big body. Yeah, he. I mean, he was, and that's that's the thing, though. He looks, you know, when he was, he he looks the part. But that thing, that start he had against Tampa, he was beating him with his fastball. I mean, they couldn't. They were they were fouling it off. They were late. Yep. You know, even when he made a mistake, he was getting a foul ball. Yep. And then all of a sudden, he got into trouble, and he threw like eighty percent sliders. Mm-hmm. And and they were laying off him, or or you know if he hung Hanging it, he up. got hit. Um, he just kind of went away from his best pitch. Uh, you didn't see him do that, and you, you saw him throwing front door sinkers to lock him up, and 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 dotting the the black away, um, to, and blowing it by him. So, you know, I mean, I think if he's if he's built that confidence and he's getting hot at the right time, I feel a lot better. You know, back to back good starts with him going yeah. to the playoffs. And it's funny we're not talking about grips and all that other stuff now with him, are we? No, it's confidence, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you look and you go from looking like he's looking like kind of timid out there to going, this yeah. kid's just lacking something. To oh my god, he looks the part, doesn't he? He looks like one of, like the next great Braves pitcher again. But that's why Ian Anderson was so convincing when he came yeah, up because he, he, he faced the Red Sox and Yankees and just attacked them. Looked confident and, and aggressive. And the hitters feel that too. You know, the hitters yeah. feel that confidence. They feel that pressure when you're coming at him and attacking him. When you throw a hitter like a 1-0 slider of two feet off the plate and and they can just tell you don't want any part of them, they get so comfortable. Yeah. Well, we forget, you know, how high this guy was taken, you know, at the top yeah. of the draft. There was a reason out of Vanderbilt, you know, after pitching in, you know, College World Series and all that. I mean, this is a this is a stud, man. And he hasn't been hurt. So you got to like, uh, I mean, and like we said, you, the timing could not have been better for the Braves because no. not a minute too soon. But you looking forward, if Soroka can come back, say, say you, you know, just even if it's not till uh, June, you know, I know he's aiming for opening day probably, but yeah. if he can come back at by June next year or May, May the second month of the season, if you look at him with with Anderson. I mean, oh, Anderson's, and and then and then you add Kyle Wright, 
Huh? And then obviously Freed at the top of yeah. the rotation with with Soroka. They're four deep. That's pretty one A and one B. Yeah, four deep with young stud arms, man. Yeah. I mean, you're not you're talking about guys that are all under control for a while. Guys that are all going to be ready, be able to go out there every five you know days, and 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 and, and guys that all have nasty stuff. Nobody's relying on a trick pitch or anything. All throwing mid nineties with nasty secondary pitches. Yeah, and I think that's the first. That's been the frustrating thing for everybody watching is, you know, you see all the talent, you see the potential, even with a guy like Newcomb, you know, it's, uh-huh. it's fun to dream, but it's a lot more fun when you see him actually put it together and start doing it at the big league level versus right. just hearing about how good their stuff is. And him, him having that start against the Mets was, you know, I've, I've felt good about him this whole time, but I could always tell there was like a lack of confidence or he seemed a little timid, but seeing him go out and attack and, and walk around the mound the way he did, like he was uh-huh. in charge. Uh, that was pretty convincing. And here's the thing about those four guys, all four of them, but besides being all prototypical pitchers' bodies, tall guys, great stuff, you know, none of them have had, uh, well, freed at TJ years ago, but they all looked apart and all that. Here's the thing they can all sit down and talk yeah. in depth about yep. pitching. They're all s- smart guys who get it. They're not, none of them are timid. They've all got great personalities. You know, they're all good team guys. I mean, those are the kind of guys you can build a rotation around there. Then you add another stud from outside the organization, maybe, you know, or or wait for a guy like Tucker, uh, you know, like uh, Davidson to come around, uh, you know, or Moeller or whoever. But if you could bring a veteran in to get you through, and not a 36-year-old veteran with health issues, but a veteran maybe at the end of his contract with a year or two left, I think you could have a terrific rotation next year. Yeah, and, you know, with young pitching, there's always going to be ups and downs. I'm sure you yeah. count on an injury or two here or there. Right. Obviously, Soroka got hurt this year. Right. But, uh, I mean, overall, if, if you have four guys that, that you feel that good about and then some prospects coming up, yeah, knocking you know, the question would just be if the team's worried about blocking one of those guys, if you could get a decent veteran on a one- or two-year deal, you know, first having to sign sign them for like uh-huh. three or four. But, yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be some hiccups, but they look pretty damn good right now. Right, and if Mueller or Davidson was ready right now, they would have been up here, which tells yeah. me they can use another year, at least a yeah. half part of a year in AAA. You know, so you're not. It's not like you're blocking a guy who's done all he can do at AAA because this was a lost year for all of them. You know. Yeah. So, but so the future's bright. I mean, I know that people have heard us say that and all yeah. that. But before <laughs> you were talking about pitchers who were in the A ball, Double A with great stuff. Now you're talking about pitchers who are doing it at the big league level or or at the tr- alternate site facing big leaguers and minor leaguers you know what i mean different it's a different animal now yeah and then, you know the ultimate test is is doing it at the big league level right. and, and starting to see guys pass that test like ian anderson and, and Wright starting to pass it too you know it's that's when you start really feeling good about your future it's, it's the same way when you're a player you know you hear about all these guys with this stuff and they're going to do this and they're going to do that and then then they come up and they look like a deer in the headlights and yeah that's the big test is whether they can handle the pressure or not. I'm sold on Ian Anderson, and I don't think I'm being premature yeah. in that. I'm sold on him. So he's right there. You got three once Soroka's back. Yeah. Um, of course, the reason that it's so pertinent about Yanoa uh, coming out of the game yesterday was they're going to need him in the second round if they get past the first round. The Braves, if, uh, if they win a best of three, they're going to need four starts, and they're not going to have Cole Hamels. And we really thought that even with all the travails of – Cole Hamels this year and all the injuries and missing spring training with a shoulder thing and then triceps tendonitis in summer camp, which was uh, come from a bone spur, he, as he told Ken Rosenthal. Uh, even with all that, you thought he comes out the other day, he only he throws three, gives up three runs, but, you know, he he looked okay. I mean, and you, you saw where – looked good. 
Yeah, you saw where he could be ready with two more starts, regular season starts here, and get up to five innings and be ready for the postseason because he's been there, you know, 17 postseason starts. Could really help the Braves stabilize this thing. And then all of a sudden, he has a, he has a Zoom interview with us yesterday where he talks about how excited he is about the team, its chances, that, that everybody's coming back to the rotation now. An hour later, the Braves are announcing that he's going on the IL again with shoulder fatigue, that his shoulder was sore. Apparently, he went out through, you know, uh, Alex Sandopoulos didn't even know exactly the details of it because all he knew was, knows was at 4.30, Cole Hamels told him, the shoulder's not good. I don't think I'm going to be ready to go. I don't think I can do it tomorrow. I just can't get anything behind it. You know, it's – Yeah. And, and so, all of a sudden, they're putting him on the IL. Snit told us later that that he went out and threw, like playing catch, and that's where he thought he felt it, you know. so he, But he just knew that he wasn't going to be able to pitch. Today was his pitch day. You know, and he was just throwing light the day before. But Cole knew that it wasn't there. Something was wrong. So he's done. And now there's not enough time to even get him ready if they wanted to get him ready for a second or third round. Yeah, it surprised me that they just shut him down, you know, because they got a lot invested in in the yeah. in him. But it must be – I don't know. You know, it's, it's something when you're – you want to always believe your arm's going to get better. So it could have been bothering him for a day or two. And he figured by his start day, it'd be better. He threw a bullpen and it felt kind of off. And uh-huh. then he goes out yesterday and it hurts, or it could be something that just popped up yesterday. But it, it seems to me like his arm just hadn't been right all year. Yeah. Um, but he looked good in his start. That was the thing. I mean, he looked like himself. He he didn't have a great start, but he was making pitches and, and he, he had the presence and he looked like Cole Hamels. Uh, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's I, I feel for him because I've I've been through those years where your arm just will not stop hurting, and and you're almost kind of it's almost like psychotic the point you get to where you you just you believe denial. that it's going to get better. <laughs> yeah, it's just pure denial. Where yeah, you know, you show up to the field every day thinking it's better, and then you go to throw the ball, and that's that's the only way to really test it is when you throw, and yeah. it just feels like shit. And you know, I'm, I'm sure he's pretty bummed out about it all, but um, it I guess it just surprised me because. You know, if they could have pushed him back a day or two or he needed more time coming off his first start, it uh, wouldn't have been a big deal and you still want him for the playoffs. But I think the team's in a situation now where they're just like, you know, we got to have plans. And yeah, and exactly. they're tired of – I think they're just tired of waiting and, and dealing with his arm himself too, which, you know, he is as well. You know, if if this if Mike Hampton had been around during the era of social media, man, he would have taken a beating. So Cole yeah. Hamels has taken a beating, obviously, from a Braves fan base that – you know, he doesn't have the the ties, the body of work here like he does yeah. if this was happening in Philly. If this was happening in Philly, Philly fans would be like, well, that sucks for Cole, man. We really want to hope to have him for the postseason. But, God, he did a great job for us, and I hope he's healthy. I hope he can have, you know, quality of life, and maybe he'll even be able to pitch again. But that's not the case with the Braves. All they know is they gave him an $18 million contract. You know, they're paying him $7 million, prorated $6.7 million, and all it's been is one injury after another with this guy. That's the way a Brace fan sees it, you know. You know and I can't blame him because that's, that's – bottom line, that's what it's been. But as a guy who's been through, you know, end-of-career sh- pitching injuries, I mean, how hard is it on the pitcher? Even if outwardly he talks about, you know, just staying positive and keep wanting to, you know – he says nothing but optimistic things about how, you know, he's ready for the postseason and the team looks good on – but what's a guy going through inner turmoil when he's taking a beating on social media and people are wondering how hurt he is and all that? Yeah, I don't know if the social media aspect w- would really affect you as much as just um, not being able to do something you've done your whole teammates. life. Yeah, yeah your you're letting your teammates down. And like when I went to Oakland after Tommy John, um, 
my shoulder was killing me, but I'd signed a two-year deal. And the first half of the first year was planned to be missed um, because I had Tommy John. You know, they knew I was going to come back in July. So I pitched like two months that year and I got to the next spring training and my shoulder was killing me. But I felt this pressure, you know, I was going to make, I was making six or seven. Well, you know, as a reliever, that's a ton of money. And, and so, you know, there's also the GM and stuck his neck out. Uh, your teammates were counting on you. Your career's on the line. You want to keep playing. And I kind of just kept pitching through it and just kept sucking and trying different exercises, different things, you know, pain pills, different ways to keep going on the field. But realistically, I, I probably shouldn't have pitched at all for Oakland because my arm just never felt good. You know, it, it always hurt. But um, it, it was still the same point. You know, I'd, I'd come to the field every day thinking there was some adjustment I could make mechanically that would take pressure off of it. You know, some uh -huh. stretch I could do, some exercises, uh, some firing pattern. You know, you're just you're just kind of stabbing in the dark and desperately trying to get back out there. And then every day you go to flow, go to throw and it's just coming out yeah. just terrible and everything hurts and it, it's deflating, man. I mean, I think that's probably the only time in my life I've dealt with any kind of like depressed feelings where I just, I, I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning because I was so bummed and, and disappointed. I couldn't throw anymore. Um, I mean, it, it took me, it took me till like two years after I retired to actually enjoy baseball again. Cause I was still so frustrated with it. Yeah. Well, I know it varies from case to case, obviously. And, and a guy who's had a body of work like him is 15-year veteran, you know, four-time All-Star. Not Young. a lot of injuries. Uh, no, no, not, not until the end. But nice that happens, you know, with guys. You know, Chipper had no injuries for the first decade, and then he couldn't stay healthy at the end, you know, the last five years or so. You get um, old, and that body just doesn't yep. – it just gives up on you. It's, it's, tough, it's a tough pill to swallow. Especially the guys that have been durable so long, doing 200 innings a year. You know, that, yeah. that adds up, man. But – I think it's probably – I mean, it's just an individual case-by-case case thing, obviously. But a guy that has had a career like that and he's in his 30s, you know, he knows he's near the end, signs a one-year deal. You know, he's been to the mountaintop, World Series, all that, you know, finished top five, six in, in Cy Young several times. Is it, hard, is it still kind of really hard to go through this, even if you've done all that and you've made a ton of money? You got, you know, six, nine figure bank account, you know, that or nine figure income in, in, throughout your career? Yeah. I mean, like it's, you could basically fly, you know, you wake up every day and you can just do this thing that, that other people can't do. And it's always uh -huh. been there. Um, you, you could just, you know, I could roll out of bed and throw 92 for most of my life. Uh -huh. And then all of a sudden your body just kind of gives out on you. And, you want to think you could tough it out. I mean, even if I was in Cole's situation, I would have tried to pitch today and he probably would have gone out and sucked. And then yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody hates you for that too. Right. Um, there's, there's Definitely. pressure coming from every angle to perform and to be out there. But mm -hmm. uh, no, there's, there's, you know, nobody gets to what 0.2% of baseball players get to go out on their terms and have a happy ending to it. Most of yeah. us go through a phase where it's like you have this thing you've been able to do your whole life and all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah. And you almost, you know, it's like, it's, it's your identity and, and then it's gone. Um, it, I'm sure it's just as difficult for him if, if he'd had a great career, a terrible career. Uh, it's not easy for any baseball player to go through that yeah. moment where you just can't do it anymore. The end is never easy. There's not many Derek no. Jeter walkaways, you know, no. David Ross chipper. is getting carried off on shoulder yeah. tops. You oh know? My like, God. Almost everybody goes out with just this feeling of I'm old now. <laughs> yeah. Shit doesn't work anymore. And you disappoint somebody at the end, unless you stay with one team. Then you walk yeah. away, and and everybody thanks you for what you did, and not how you failed this team. You know that you went to. That's the other bad part about you. Wish every guy could stay with one team, or you know, with two teams, and you know, spends the last ten years with one team. You know, is that 
the ending is so much better for them and the fans, you know, because they think of all the good times. None of that Braves fans are going to think of good times with Hamels. They're going to think how he stuck it up their butt when he was with Philly, <laughs> and then they came, and they came here, here and, didn't pitch. And, and he couldn't pitch for him. So it's not fair, but hey, it goes with the territory, making that much money and having that much success and all that. But I know he tried. You know, I got to be. You know, he didn't. Nobody wanted to succeed more than this guy. Come on, no. But I think that's probably if I look at it from a distance. King Felix probably knew what was going on in his shoulder. COVID was a yeah. good reason to opt out, but he probably. It was pitching with this kind of sh- in his shoulder the whole time because, you know, obviously the stuff was diminished and he was getting by on guile and movement. But he probably looked at it and goes, even 60 games, I don't know that this shoulder is going to hold up and I'm going to be able to pitch competitively. Well, even the stress factor, too. You know, it's it's so much more fun when you can just pick up the ball and throw yeah. it. The, the, <laughs> amount, of, the amount of work that goes into just getting yourself out there. And I'm sure it's taking a mental toll on uh, Hamels. But just to, you know, to – to skate through that inning, Felix was pitching in spring training games like they were the World Series. Yeah, yeah. You know, he didn't get to just go out there and work on things. Using everything and, he had, and everything has to go right. You got to be, you know, everything to has to go spot. perfect. That mental stress of it too probably wore him out. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was lucky in my career. I got to go out with the Braves, and they basically carried me to the finish line, getting me to ten years. Yeah. But any, if I was with any other organization, you know, I think. I don't, there's no chance they bring me back in 17 and they would have released me at some point in 2016. But you're right. You know, when you build up a uh, history with the club, uh, yeah. you get looked at totally different. I mean, there, there were some fans that were sick of my shit, but a lot of them, you know, I yeah. have, I'd have a six ERA and they'd still be screaming at me in the outfield that they love me. And I was like, yeah. what do you love right now? Yeah. You know, I got you, nothing left as fans, you know, as fans can be harsh and unfair when a guy, you know, a guy like, you know, a guy that comes over from another organization or guy's hurt all the time when he gets here, but they can also stick by you beyond what you think they should. You know, a guy can be terrible for two or three years, but if he had a few good years at the start of his career, they will ask for him to come back. You know, they will look past everything. So it goes both ways. Snit said about uh, him yesterday after the game, Snit said, you know, I hated for him. He's worked so hard and put so much time in, and I was excited to get him back out there for a couple more times too and see where we could get him before this thing was over, meaning the regular season. So, you know, Snit was looking at it from that perspective. The guys who have been in the clubhouse with him and seen him working and know what he went through, they're a lot more qualified to speak on this than me because, you know, in this pandemic year, we haven't even been in the clubhouse. So I, I haven't yeah. been able to see him interact with the guys like we would in a normal year. All we saw was the beginning of spring training where everybody, you know, he was on the backfields watching Freed. Once he got there, you know, after missing the first couple of weeks, he was back there watching guys talking to him, you know. So he has had an impact. Guys like Freed and several other guys have talked about how much he's helped them sitting there talking to him and pointing out stuff. So, you know, they did get that from him. So. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, you're not you're not trying to pay seven million for an extra coach, though. You know, no, I mean, it's, it's frustrating, but that's not how he draw it up. How he drew it up either. It's just a you know, it's that's part of the thing when you, you sign those guys, kind of aging veterans, those one year deals. Donaldson hit, Hamels didn't. Ozuna's working out pretty great, but uh, I mean, that's the risk they knew yeah, they were taking right. when they signed the deal, and it just didn't work. Guys, let's take a quick break, and then we'll finish up the show. Hey, listeners, producer Cam here. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. 
With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is just as simple as going to GetRoman.com slash real, R-E-A-L, and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash R-E-A-L real, all one word. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash real. Bryce Wilson was recalled from Gwinnett yesterday. He'll start today in what would have been Hamill's place. Uh, all they did was move Freed and Ian Anderson up a day because those guys were going to have an extra day of rest from their last starts. So they'll just go on regular rotation, regular turn this week. Uh, and then they'll have an extra day of rest. So they'll end up even having like a week rest before they start in the postseason which will be fine, but they wanted to spread out that extra rest where they'd have one day before this start and then one day extra before the postseason starts. So that's not a big deal. Um, and then the Braves are going to have to piece it together after they, if they get, you know, they ain't worried about the second round right now. They're just worried about no. winning a post. They haven't won a postseason series in two decades. So, And a good uh, thing about Freed is, you you know, a, a, another starter you might be, if you didn't have such a good bullpen, you might have to push him. Yeah. If, yeah. if they get up, if they're up five or six runs in the fifth, and and they want to give take freed out. You don't you don't have to worry about bringing in the bullpen and and trying to get through it. You know they can they can keep his pitch count down in the playoffs too to try to keep him fresh. Yeah, it's so different than than in any previous years. You're not going to ask those starters to go six seven innings in a, in a postseason game. You know that's changed in the last couple of years. A lot of teams are relying on the bullpen more and more anyway. But they've been doing this all year. You know, Freed's basically been going five or six innings. Yeah. And Ian Anderson, since he came up, has been going between four and six innings. I think he went seven, one, one game. So in a postseason, with this deep bullpen, all you they're need good. is good four or five innings out of those guys, yeah. and you can piece it together. And I think yeah. they're real confident in getting two times through the order with Anderson and, you know, and Freed maybe pushing it to three times. So you get five or six from Freed. I mean, that's all you need. And, and same thing for uh, – for Kyle Wright, you know, if you can get four or five from him, bullpen can take it from there. They've got the horses that can do it. Matzik can give you an inning or two, you know. Uh, you know, then you turn it over to the the closer brigade. You know, the Chris Martins, the uh, Shane Greens, Melanson. I mean, you've got a deep stacked rotation. And yeah, uh, you got Will Mentor Smith. and Webb in the middle too. Yeah, Mentor's been terrific. He's been you know? nasty. You added Webb. Mentor's been great all year, and then Will Smith's finally. You know, the last few outings looked a lot looked like the Will Smith they were expecting. You know, gave up some solo homers, but otherwise he's a little his sharp. Slider so. is, his slider's back. I mean, his slider looks really good. So if any team is equipped to get through this thing with a young three-person rotation, it's the Braves right now. They're, they're, uh, they got a stacked, stacked bullpen. And the thing is, they're so deep that he hasn't had to, to, uh, to overwork any of these guys no. during the season. And they're all pretty much pitching well right now with no injury concerns. Matzik has kind of piled up some innings, but he's, you know, former starter and a guy that's had a fresh arm, so he's not he's not overworked either. So, no, nobody's overworked. Uh, it's going to be tough if Freed's rolling it. I'm not taking him out till he no. gets to at least a hundred. But if you had a big lead and he looked okay, I'd take him out, you know, and keep him fresh. Otherwise, you know, with the with the pen and the guys, I mean, Webb, Minter in the middle, 
Uh, and you get to those guys. Martin, I mean, I feel like we haven't talked about him at all. But oh, I know. He's just doing his thing. Um, and Melanson's been good. Yeah, I mean, look, you just need you just need Wright to be who he was the basically the last two starts, and you could put this team up against anybody. The only guys that have uh, not lived up to maybe expectations in the pen, Luke Jackson. He's obviously yeah. taken – he's not nearly what he was last year. He's had some bad games. But this is a guy that they didn't have to rely on like before. I mean, it's a guy yeah. that was closing games for them for much yeah. of last season. You know, he was their closer. And now he's their seventh guy in the pen. You know, it's a lot harder role too. It's I think you know setup man for me is the best job in baseball because you know you always know when you're going to pitch and when you struggle you got the closer coming in behind you. Uh, Luke's in a situation now where he never knows when he's going to pitch. Yeah, and yeah. when he does pitch, you know he can't just come in and throw two o three o sliders because they might need two or three innings out of yeah. him. Yeah, he's coming when he's in up third by inning. one. Yeah, when he's up by one in the ninth, and he if he feels like he wants to throw a three one slider, a three o uh-huh. slider to to get a strike, it, it doesn't look nearly as bad if he walks him, you know, cause he can just strike out the next guy or get yep. through it. I, I actually think that he'd be having a better year if he had a more important role, but he's just kind of bouncing around the back because other dudes have been so good. That's interesting because nobody, we haven't talked about that, but you're right. I mean, he's coming in a couple of times, like third or fourth inning, been expected yeah. to go two or three innings or a couple of innings. And, and it's totally different. Like you said, they, you know, than before when he could come in and throw that slider for an inning and just, and put it in bounce it didn't matter he could get a strikeout and it's we haven't thought we haven't talked about that with Luke but always yeah it's a lot tougher role to be in you know I struggled with that when I went to from a setup man and and then I started struggling and all of a sudden you're stretching and stressing the whole game meanwhile you look at the setup guy and closer and they might be asleep in a couch you know the the stress level is so much higher in the job that uh Luke's in but you still got to get it done, man. There's no excuses. So Jackson and Will Smith were two of the five guys we talked about coming in, and they're the two that have disappointed. But Will Smith, like you said, lately he's pitched with that slider. has been good. and But at the same time, look at the two that have completely overachieved and nobody was counting on at all. Mentor. He's been terrific. Matzik. A non-roster invite to spring training. He's been terrific. So they've more than offset anything you thought you were going to get out of Luke and Will Smith, and then Chris Martin has lived up to expectations once he got past that esophageal thing that he had to have a surgical procedure in the middle of the season. You know, people forget that. That happened. Um, you know, uh, Chris uh, Chris Martin has pitched really well. Uh, and then and then Melanson, you know, he might put a runner or two on base, but the guy gets, gets it, it done, done every time yeah. he gets it done. He never – he's done it. He's been through so many times, so many games in his long career – that he just does not get panicked at all, man. Like no. last night, gets a couple guys on. He doesn't care. He gets that double that play grounder. Oh, <laughs> was that? We talked about this with uh, with Mark Simon last week about Freddie, the things that he can do that other first basemen can't do, and Dansby, the awareness that he has. He's clutch defensive plays late in the game, and you saw both of those on that play. Well, it's it's. Watching that, you know, some guys on defense, it just feels like they just don't want to mess up, right? So if you give them an out, they they hold on to the ball. If there's an out on the play, I mean, if, if there's if there's a way where they don't have to throw that ball, they're not throwing it. Uh, you know, like if the throw's a little off or there's a weird deflection or something like that, they these defenders just have like a tendency to give up on the play. Yeah. Or a guy, you know, like when the ball rolls under the outfield fence and it's like slightly wedged and you got that outfielder just throws his hands up when he can just pick the ball up and the guy winds up getting a triple out of it. You uh-huh. see plays like that where guys just want out of the play. They don't want to. They don't want to have to make the play. Freddie could have seen no one at third or seen Dansby running. You know, you you never yeah. practice. You yeah. never practice in baseball throwing to yeah. a moving target ever. Uh-huh. How many times do you see even like a, a pitcher covering first 
and right. a 15 foot throw from the first baseman, right. a foot foot or two behind him, and messes the whole thing up. All uh, the time. The, the aggression Freddie had on that play to just throw a bullet to Dansby across the infield. And same with Dansby. When that throw was a little behind him or, or off and he didn't know where the runner was, he could have just caught it and played it safe. But the two guys are just playmakers. And and Freddie, I mean, he just unleashed a laser right to Dansby. Dansby knew where to be. He just has that he just has that instinct on the field to make those big plays. But and both those guys, I mean, it takes two just extremely confident defenders to pull that playoff and it worked. And Dansby covered a lot of ground to get over he there did. to be aware that he was going, Harrison was going, and he needed to get over there and, and get there and, and then receive that. He looked like a wide receiver taking that yeah. throw in stride. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. I mean, it's just not instincts. something you practice. It's yeah. it's not something you really practice on the baseball field, and it takes two special defenders to pull that off. Melanson was kind of shocked when Freddie, you know, he threw to Freddie, and then Freddie's going <laughs> over him basically over his head on that laser to third base. He's like, holy shit, you know. Yeah. Freddie's got the arm to do that, though, man. Yeah, it's just that for me, I mean, Dansby made the play happen, but Freddie, yeah. Freddie as a first baseman, having the confidence to throw yeah. that ball, and he didn't just throw it over there. He threw it as hard as he could. Yeah, yeah I mean, if he, he throws threw it laser past him. him, if that goes it's past a run, him, that's a run. That's, that's a what run. I mean. Most most first basemen, I think, would just shut that play down when, mm-hmm. when Dansby's kind of running over there awkward and they don't want to make a bad throw. The confidence Freddie had to just unleash and hit him in the chest. I mean, it might have been a little behind him, but... Just to make that play, man, it takes such a confident first baseman. Those are plays Freddie makes that I just don't think other first basemen make. Man, me too. I'm, I'm with you. And then the previous inning, the inning, ending line drive to Austin Riley, he showed yeah. why this guy's got the instincts at third base. He's got the reflexes. And and for a big guy, because he's big, he's like a Scott Rowland guy, how he moves laterally, even yeah. though he's so big and thick. He said, "This dude can play. A, he can be a plus defender at third base. He's if he's not already, you know." Yeah, and he has a really good arm over there too. Yeah, so this is not a guy that you need to worry about moving to the outfield or DH. This is going to be no. a stud third baseman. This is yeah. your guy for the next yeah. eight years, maybe ten years, maybe longer. Who knows? But yeah, he's got all you need over there at third base, and not and now for any concerns early on when he was like, "Oh, here we go again with the bat." He's put it together, and he's having a really good year at the, at the plate. That he's because he's dangerous. Any at bat, he can hit one out to any field. Yeah, I mean, he's hitting. He's sitting down in the seven hole, um, right where he needs to be. Yeah, it's a good spot for him right now. But when you're seeing him hit those doubles down the right field line and, yeah. and go the other way and cover the whole plate, uh, for me, he, he looks. He, that's when he's locked in. A couple of things, uh, even though people have you know obviously downplayed the importance of home field advantage for the postseason this year. Even without fans, it's still an advantage to play in your home park if you're if you're used to playing there, if you like playing there, if you got certain guys who like hitting and fielding there. The Braves are sixteen and eight at Truist Park this year. Going back to the when they had a franchise record thirteen game home winning streak last year, midseason, they are thirty two and twelve in their last forty four games here. Thirty two and twelve. That's a seven twenty seven winning percentage. So Obviously, home field advantage is no small matter for the Braves going into this postseason. Yeah, and even if even if you take all that out of it, just having that last at bat, yeah. I love this team when it has the last at bat. And they're you know, averaging it's like they, they six and a half focus. runs, six and a half runs per game at home during that streak. Yeah, they rake at home. Uh, the only thing that would have made you question was when Soroka was struggling so bad at home last year or whatever. I mean, he's getting yeah. to start this year, but it seems like everybody else loves to play in that park. Yeah. Moilo had mentioned that mound too, with guys like sinker ballers. Some sinker ballers don't like the mound there, yeah, because it's built just like the one at Turner Field. But you loved the one at Turner Field, right? Yeah, I loved the one at Turner Field. I hated the mound at, at SunTrust. 
Uh, but oh, really? I just sucked. Yeah, you just yeah. hate where you suck at, you know. Right. And, and that's another right. thing: is teams <laughs> yeah. coming into Truist Park that have had bad experiences. You know, that that's another thing that's in your head versus the team that's that's real comfortable at home. You know, it, it's a mental yeah. thing too. So, and and after all the you know periods where the offense you know was like a couple of games, it was it was kind of in and out, and you know the pitching injuries, whatever. They're now, by the way, a season high ten games over five hundred. The Braves thirty two and twenty two last year. They didn't get to the season high or seat to seat 10 over 500 until the 68th game when they were 39 and 29. So, and coincidentally, season high last year was 36 games over 500, 96 and 60. That came on September 21st, same as this year. Okay. <laughs> Strange. That's yeah, it's weird. So much stuff is the same even in a 60 game year. Yeah. Just uh, one other thing about Matzik. How good he's been. He pitched two scoreless innings last night, walked a couple of guys, but no hits. And he's got he's got a 304 ERA, 19 appearances, which has been bloated by or not bloated because it's still low, but it's been a couple of games have really took yeah. that up because otherwise it's really low. And he's fourth among NL relievers in strikeouts with 38, 26 and two-thirds innings, tied for the league lead in relief innings pitched, and a most K's by a left NL lefty reliever. Got in a non-roster invite to spring training. Yeah, he looks to me when I watch him, he looks too good to be a reliever the way he can pitch. But uh-huh. you know, I, I remember, I think you asked him about it, and maybe a month ago when they were yeah. trying to figure out some other starting options. It seems like it's not something he wants to do, but that's just yeah. how good he is. I mean, a lefty throwing ninety five, ninety six like that you, with multiple pitches and control, you'd, you'd want to put him and at least give him a shot starting. But I think he's comfortable in the pen, and with you know his mental stuff that he's gone through in the past, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't want to mess with any of it. But right. at the same time, it'd be tempting. I, you know, I'd ask him again at the end of this offseason if he feels like he could get ready to start next year because he could be a big one too. Right, that's one of those things that I, don't, I never thought the Braves would even approach him during the season, and they didn't. But it's one of those things that you could ask him about going into the offseason. Hey, just in the back of your mind, if you if you think about wanting to pitch next year as a restarter. You know, we got an opening. Let us know because you know we'll maybe we'll approach the offseason differently if you want to. But yeah, it's, I, man, it's hard to mess with someone. A guy's been through the yips and come back because not many Don't have come back, it. and he's come back, yeah. and, and you could count on him as a reliever next year because you're going to lose a couple of guys, and you could count like Melanson. You're going to and, and and Green, but you could count. You're going to have control of this guy for a while, and that's a yeah, nice and piece he, to bring back as a lefty. Yeah, I mean, any other situation, I think I'd ask him, but when it's the yips and the guy's got it figured out yeah. and it's going well, I mean, the smallest thing could set that off. I, I watch him sometimes and it's like, you know, if he throws a couple of bad pitches, you know, you kind of worry, you know, if, if a wild pitch or something like that, if, if it's going to set back in, that's just how sensitive the yips can be. So with him, I wouldn't mess with it, but he looks pretty damn good, man. Uh, and just real quick on the, on the Cy Young and MVP races, I thought when – when uh, Freed went down to the IL for 12 days, I thought he was probably done in such a short season, how things could change yeah. so fast. Nope. He's right back in the thick of this thing, man. He is uh, – you could look at his numbers now and say that he's got as good a chance as anybody, really. I mean, he's 7-0 and with a 1.96 ERA and 10 starts. Uh, he's got a 105 whip and a 202 opponent's average. The only thing keeping him down, if he's down at all, is a lot of people look at strikeouts, obviously, and walks. And some other guys, the other leading candidates, have some really big strikeout totals. Like Trevor Bauer, I thought he was done after that one bad start he had when his ERA jumped. But such a short season, you can get it down again so fast that 
Trevor Bauer, he's only four and four, but he's got a one eight zero ERA in ten starts, sixty five innings to max is fifty five. He's got eighty eight strikeouts and sixteen walks. Trevor Bauer, zero eight two WHIP, one sixty one opponents average. He's right there. Jacob Degrom, right there, two point one four ERA, four and two with in eleven starts, sixty three innings for him. He's got ninety four strikeouts and sixteen walks, zero nine two WHIP. You know, Freed's got a 105 whip. Uh, DeGrom, 184 opponent's average. DeGrom's just always there, man. A year after year yeah. now, he is always going to be there. Um, and the guy's throwing harder than ever. He's getting older, approaching, what, 30 now, and throwing 100 now, like, common. Uh, and he puts Freak. it wherever he wants it. Yeah. And the thing about him is he gets so much extension, it's it's really like plus two or three miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. remember when we used to face Josh Johnson at the the starter for the Marlins, and it, you know he was throwing ninety six, ninety seven with cut, but he got so much extension it was like he was throwing from fifty three feet, and the hitters just couldn't get to it. And that, I mean that's what Degrom's doing, but he's got he's got three good pitches, and I mean you watch him pitch, the hitters are just hopeless. It's it's hard to it's hard to not want to give a guy like that a Cy Young, especially with ninety four strikeouts and sixty three innings. It's just he the, the amount that he just dominates the games when he pitches in them is crazy. Yeah, and then a couple other guys are right there with the stats too. I mean, uh, mentioned Hugh Darvish. You got Denison Dennis Denison Lemay at San Diego has quietly gone. He's three and one with a two oh seven ERA and eleven starts. You know, so much attention made to Clevenger when he went over there. LeMay's got 89 strikeouts and 19 walks in 65 innings. I mean, this yeah. guy's been doing it all year. And then a guy at Milwaukee that nobody talks about, Corbin Burns. Yeah. Eight starts. He's 4-0 and with a 1-2-5. He's kind of borderline. Does he have enough innings and starts? But he's eight starts, 1-2-5 ERA, 65 strikeouts and 14 walks in 43 innings. What about this guy? He has a 94-mile-an-hour slider. <laughs> it's just like these aren't pitches that existed when I was coming into the game, and now now there's you see so many guys doing stuff. I mean, I don't I don't envy hitters at all. But how about a hitter seeing this guy? You know, he's going about five innings to start, and then Hater coming in after him, throwing invisibles. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's not a fun time to be a hitter at all in this game, and that that's another thing. That's what makes it even more impressive what the Braves are doing. You know they're not they're not doing it in an era where everybody's just hitting home runs and right, and, and right. crushing pitchers. It's like this. It's never been tougher to hit, and they're still scoring six seven runs a game. So you got yeah exactly and and yeah and guys are you know they don't have to hold back with the bullpens and everything and pace everything you know, with this short season. So they're facing a no, lot you, of tough you, and they're lighting <laughs> up bullpens too. Yeah, they're hitting other teams' bullpens better than any team in the league. No, they can hit anybody. So you got five or six guys right there that are legit Cy candidates. It's going to be a cluster F, you know, for uh, for that for the Cy voting. I'm glad I'm not voting Cy. I'm voting MVP. And I Who tell you, who would you vote for? I for the MVP for Cy. <laughs> I'm going to wait. I'm going to let these guys get a lot of guys. So a couple of guys have two more starts. Yeah, you know. So I'm going to wait. It's just too. I, it's it's too much right now. I just don't know how I would split it right now. I'd have to really. I'm not voting for, for it, so I haven't lined up the numbers like I would with MVP. I'm voting MVP though, and I tell you, it's not going to be easy either. Cause Acuna yeah, and Soto is. have, have <laughs> now have enough plate appearances to qualify at best, qualify for ratings. So Soto, this guy, if it weren't for Soto, Freddie would lead the league in everything. But yeah. for me, Freddie, having watched him day in and day out, 
not just the offense, but also the defense, what he's meant to this team. I mean, call me a homer if you want, but, uh, you know, if you look at my voting record on MVP, I've never given favor to the guy, the home guy. His number. Freddie, to me, there's nobody that's been more valuable to his team and and just in what he's done league-wise. This guy's hitting 340, leading the, 340. Majors, leading the majors in doubles. I mean, Soto right now is 348, and he qualifies now, so he might squeeze Freddie out for a batting title. For 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 last week before Soto, if I didn't know if he's going to have enough at bats to qualify, I thought Soto might or, or Freeman might both be the first Braves MVP since Chipper, and also win the Braves' first batting title since Chipper because he was up at like three fifty nine, three sixty. That's come down. He's had a couple of offers and brought it down to three forty, but hasn't changed the MVP outlook to me right now. Um, with the way Tatis really fell off OPS wise. You got Freddie up there, second in the majors to Soto in OPS, second to him in OBP. Freddie's got a 460 OBP for 54 games. He's got 194 ABs to Soto's 138 ABs. You know, 48 yeah. RBIs leading the league. He's so right, played right, 14 more games than Soto, too. 14 more games, which is no small thing in a 60 game season. I mean, that's a big chunk of games. No, that's like missing 60 games. Soto's you know, been phenomenal. Season. Soto's played yeah. the same number of games as Acuna, one yeah. less game than Acuna. And we've seen how much time Ronald's missed. You know, Ozuna, you could argue, has been right there more deserving yeah. or as deserving as Soto. Ozuna's batting 316 with, with 15 homers. 15 homers and 48 ribbies tied with Freddie. So. Uh, right now, though, I'm giving it to Freddie. Right now, I, I think he squeezes out. You got Machado. It's not like Tatis has had to do it alone with the Padres either, because Machado has got 16 homers. He's tied for the league home run lead with, yeah. uh, you know, with Azuna and a couple are with uh, or not with Duvall and a couple other guys. So, I you got you got uh, Manny Machado with the Padres has taken some of the you know shouldered some of the burden there with Tatis, and then you got Trey Turner's put up great numbers with the Nationals. He's fallen off a little bit, but. I, right now, if I had to vote, I'm going and I'm going to vote. I'm right now, as things stand, I'm giving it to Freddie Freeman. I just think yeah, he's I deserving. think so too. And I think the one thing about Freddie is he's a guy that I feel like you really have to watch play every day to understand how valuable yeah. he is. Uh, there's other guys that they're on the highlights all over the league, but Freddie's not. He's not a guy that's just on the ESPN highlight reel every day. He does he does little stuff that you miss. Uh, but just all the, for me, if, if you had an at bat with any player in the league right now with the game on the line and a runner on second, two outs, F- Freddie's the guy I want up. God, his the, average I, runner score position is crazy. His numbers. It's crazy. And, and just his ability to beat you to any field, you can't just, you can't just, there's no spot to go against Freddie where you're going to get an out. If you try to pitch him in, he can turn on it, but he's just as likely just to flip a, a ball over a shortstop. You know, he's uh-huh. got the back control that you just don't see out of an MVP type of, uh, hitter, power you know, guy, yeah. yeah, yeah, like a power guy, you know, a big slugger. He has that ability to hit singles too if he needs to. He's just such a tough at bat, and it's yeah. it's that at bat in general that I feel like has such an impact on how everybody else in the lineup gets pitched. He's a unique hitter, man. I mean, he yeah. is for high average, like Chipper used to, and also for high power. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of Chipper in him. The swings aren't the same, obviously, but there is Chipper in him in that he can do damage, but he also hits for average and has a huge on base average. So there's a lot. And of he's chipper so smart. Everywhere. So smart. He's so yeah. smart. And he's, you know, I feel like if he wanted to, he could hit, he could hit 10 more home runs a year no if doubt. he dropped his average and wasn't willing to take that double to left or single to left. But 
what makes him so tough is when he comes up in those big situations and he's not just an all or nothing guy. He's a dude that can literally just hit a single anytime he wants. He feels, I feel like. And think and, about it. Yeah. But yeah. Just, I mean, he's just a different type of hitter that you don't normally see putting up these type of numbers with, with his approach. Think about how many times they've walked him or pitched around him when runners in scoring position this year. You have a to. A lot. And his OBP with runners in scoring position was last I looked was like close to 600. If you think about that and then the fact that he's tied with Ozuna for the RBI lead, 48 and 54 games, well, they've walked him a lot of times to face yeah. Ozuna. And yep. Ozuna's got a hell of a lot of RBIs. He's having a career year in part because of guys pitching around Freddie. And you know, Ozuna's seen a lot of fastballs, and he's destroying them. Well, and think about that, too, is that if if you'd rather pick Ozuna, that who's having the yeah. year he's having over Freddie, what's yeah. that say about him? Guy hitting 316, Azuna with a 403 OBP, 996 OBS. Yeah, 15 homers. <laughs> and guys are pitching around Frey to get to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's Dangerous one of my lineup. favorite quotes from uh, what Big Poppy was talking about that a few years ago, talking about how he gets everybody's best because yeah. he's so good, you know, and it's that much harder for him to put up the numbers he does because he gets everybody's best stuff versus if you're doing it in the seven or eight hole, it's different. You know, they might, they might, you know, let their guard down against you, but Freddie's. I mean, he's putting up those numbers when he's getting pitched around. Yeah, Mookie's hitting 303, 16 bombs, 39 ribbies, and a 973 OPS. Great. He's doing great. Living up to expectations, has the highest yep. paid play, biggest contract or whatever. But Freddie's having a better year. If you look at all yep. the numbers across the board, um, it's been phenomenal. This Braves lineup is, to me, and I never thought I'd say there'd be a lineup better this year than the Dodgers, but I would take the Braves lineup top to bottom over any lineup in, in the league. And the Yankees, with all their injuries, I'd take them over the Yankees for sure. Yeah, it feels like watching the Dodgers. When you'd watch the Dodgers yeah. the last few years and you'd see a subpar pitcher go up against them, you just knew they were going to murder them. And it, that's how it feels watching this team is, is you know, you know they're never out of a game, but, but you feel like they're going to score. Even last night I, when they scored, they got down a couple runs early and then they yeah. scored three. And you're thinking, oh, man, they're going to put up like a 12 spot again. But that's what it feels like every single game yeah. that they're going to put up seven to ten runs. When you go down by three in a first inning and you have no doubts that your team can come <laughs> yeah. back, that's pretty yeah. special. It's a nice feeling. It didn't even take them an inning to take the lead. Nope. <laughs> you know? It's crazy. And that's I mean, against and a good You keep Marlins wondering team. if they can keep doing it. <laughs> you keep wondering yeah. if they can keep doing it and they just keep doing it. It is what it is, man. I mean, yep. I, you got to. it could be a really interesting postseason if they just keep doing the things they're doing. They don't have to play better. I'd actually kind of – I think it'd be a fun postseason to watch if they keep playing this way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, <laughs> Over yeah. a pitcher's duel. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk again on Friday, and it'll be an interesting – by then I think the Rays will have clinched, and we'll have some better idea of which way they're – you know, who came up to start, plug in, if they just went up with a bullpen game and what, the, what things look like going forward. So a lot of interesting stuff going on with this team. 755 is real. We're out. We're out.